Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on this week's episode, we take the show on the road with a live episode taped at Yeti Chicago with Adam Burrish and Patrick Sharp. We dive into looking ahead to the trade deadline, those two rooming together on the road in their relationship, as well as a whole bunch of fan questions coming in during the show. All that and more coming up on Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. Hey, Blackhawks fans, your local Chevy dealers have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you. Take your best shot to win the 2020 Chicago Blackhawks Custom Blazer. It's a -a one-of-a-kind performance machine with its custom Blackhawks leather interior and Chicago Skyline grille. You can't win if you don't enter, so go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and register right now. You must be 18 years or older to enter. Someone's got to win, so it might as well be you. Go for it. Drive what Kane and Taze drive. Thanks for joining us. I'm Carter Baum, Chris Cook on the end, and of course the two distinguished guests, Adam Burrish and Patrick Sharp in the middle. Uh, welcome to Blackhawks Insider, our weekly official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, gentlemen, we have a lot of fun stuff to get into here at the beautiful Yeti store in Wicker Park. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. We'll have some fun uh, along the way, but the Blackhawks coming off a game last night, a 6-3 to three loss to the New York Rangers. Uh, a couple things coming out of that game that I want to get into before we have maybe a little fun later in the show, but uh, first off, I just want to get each of you's general takeaway of kind of what this team is looking like right now and what we've seen over the last week and uh, things are really starting to become interesting around uh, around the organization. Chris, you lead us here. Yeah, interesting is the right word. Um, you know, I was in the dressing room after the game last night and I'd never seen um, some of the players as angry. I've never seen Jeremy Carlton as angry as he seemed. Not a very emotional guy as far as showing it uh, to, to the people, but he was very angry at what happened there and there was an energy level that was not there last night that I think is needed every game now, right? I mean, you're in a situation where you need two points every time, and they didn't have it. Played a, a decent second period, but other than that, uh, they did not bring forth the effort. Jonathan Taves said it. Um, Drake Kajula said it. Pretty much everybody on that team said, we need to be better from Jump Street, and they weren't. And I just would ask you guys, how disappointing is it to knowing what the stakes are, knowing you need to win? You need to win, right? You need to get some points. You can't look at what everybody else is doing to get some points and to come out with that effort last night i think it was disappointing to everybody yeah that one stung home ice against the rangers uh nbc in the building it was a big game points wise for both teams and and the rangers just kind of outplayed the hawks from start to finish a frustrating loss frustrating week in canada uh, last week with that road trip a lot at stake and uh, didn't go quite as planned I, I go back to that first game of that road trip where they were up two nothing in winnipeg very difficult place to play end up losing that game uh, those are points that you're not going to get back, and the Jets are a team that are sitting in a playoff spot right now. So times are tough for the Blackhawks. Plenty of games left, but it's not looking good right now. Um, first, I just want everybody to know Sharp's playing sick today too, so uh, he's been a little under the weather. But he Jordan said he's like he said he's like Michael yeah. Jordan right now, playing playing through it. And <laughs> the flu uh, game for the people listening, this Yeti store is pretty cool. It's awesome. It's awesome, yeah. and. Uh, I'm looking at these coolers, and I think I've bought two of them, and one of them goes missing every summer at my cookouts when I have with my buddies. So if my buddies are listening, you owe me a couple of these coolers <laughs> you've stolen from me. Um, but, yeah, Chris and Carter, it was uh, 
I, I think sometimes as a player, when you're battling, battling, and you're looking at the standings, which this team is, and you go on this road trip and you go one and four, you come back home and you're just disappointed. And I think sometimes that carries over. And I think last night it was one of those situations where you you get three points or two points out of a spot. And all of a sudden you go on this road trip and you, you, you kind of lay an egg a little bit and it just lingers and you can't get over it. And then you come home and you're thinking, all right, we're back home. We're going to have a good game. We're going to relax. We're going to ease into this thing. And you kind of forget you can't ease into games now. And teams are good. And the Rangers are a team that are going through a bit of a rebuild, but they've got some dangerous players. And all of a sudden you don't show up on time and you, you sit back. And next thing you know, you're, you're down a couple goals and it's tough to come back in this league. Burr, I just want to compliment. You're dressed for the part, too, wearing the camo. How'd you see me? Uh, I don't know. I, you're close enough where I can at least see your eyes, but uh, I don't know for anyone watching in the audience. Yeah. But you're, uh, you're dressed for the part. Oh, dressed the part. Looking good, though. Thanks. Uh, I didn't doubt anything from either one of you two. Chris and I, you know, we, we're just kind of here. Everyone's, everyone's <laughs> here to see you guys. Uh, a positive takeaway from last night, something we've talked about time and time again, week after week, Dominic Kubalik continues to just, take over some of the offense for this team. Another two goals last night. He now has 25 on the year. Uh, he's six goals clear of Victor Olofsson for the rookie scoring lead in terms of goals. He's only seven points off Quinn Hughes in terms of the point total for rookies. This is someone who two and a half months ago, he was having a nice season, a good first season with the team, uh, a little bit of an older rookie than maybe most. And within the last two months, he's worked his way into Calder Trophy conversations. And, I mean, he's right there with with the top of the leaderboard in terms of rookie goal scorers, rookie defensemen this season. I mean, it's every single game from him pretty much. Yeah, it, Chris, you talked about it. We've talked about him a few times on this podcast, and, and Chris has talked about how before the season, the summer, Stan was really the only guy that said yeah. uh, he's going to be a top six guys for us. And I think all of us are like, who, who is this guy? Kubali, like from never played in, in North America, the, the Kings kind of punted him off and said, no, we don't have space for you here. And Stan said, no, we want this guy and he's going to be a stud for us. And Stan nailed it on that one. Um, yeah, he's a shooter and he's a guy that can find the net and um, even on pucks last night, that shot that he made, I don't think he got all of it. I don't think he hit quite all of it, but he's in the right spot. He gets it off his stick quick. And um, I think a month ago we talked about uh, he's probably not going to be in the Calder race. Well, heck, if he keeps going like he is, I don't know I don't know how he isn't. Yeah, he's making it interesting, isn't he? Kale McCarr in Colorado's probably the front runner. Quinn Hughes in Vancouver's the other one. And Kubelik's got to be right there at number three. And if he keeps scoring at this pace, um, we'll see what happens down the stretch. But his game definitely went to another level when he was put on the top line with Jonathan Taves, who, in my opinion, is playing some great hockey right now. Uh, Kubli can skate. He can shoot. He knows where the net is. And the best part, uh, the thing I like most about him is after the game last night, the media was surrounding him. He didn't want to talk about himself. Uh, I know that's something that a lot of players would like to do. You score two goals. You want to pump your own tires, answer a few questions. He had no part of it. He was upset with the loss, and that shows me he cares about winning. And another good find by the Blackhawks to bring in Kubelik. Let me just ask, when when you're doing the national game, Sharpie, when you're out at NBC, 
Um, I think we all know that the media plays a role in this, right? Whether guys you know, get certain accolades or not. Is he talked about out there? Like does Keith Jones and Milbury and, and the guys at NBC, are they starting to talk and show highlights of him a little more? Uh, not really. Not really. I think that's, that's my job. <laughs> I got to start pumping his tires on the national stage a little bit more. It seems like it's McCarr and Quinn Hughes for that rookie race. And, and rightfully so. Those yeah. guys are pretty special players. But what Kubelik has done in his first season has been impressive. You don't lead leagues in scoring um, and not be able to come over and do it in the NHL. There's a reason why this guy can put pucks in the back of the net. He's having fun doing it. Uh, maybe his age hurts him a little bit in that yeah. rookie scoring race. What is he, 25 years yeah. old, 24 years old? So that could be playing a role, but he's got 25 goals on his way to 30. So it'll be interesting to see what happens down the stretch. You know, I'm actually still plugged in with the Professional Hockey Writers Association. I'm not a member now, but I have been. I was for years, and I know all those guys on Twitter and email, and he is getting some buzz. Is there he? Are some guys, yeah, the national McKenzie, writers are starting yeah, to pick McKenzie, up on him a little Drager, bit. Those guys are all saying, hey, look at this Kubelik guy. He's got 25 goals on pace for 32, and the best shot on the team, maybe the best shot since this guy here, and he gets it off, and he finds his space. I think it's important there that you can have a great shot, you know, you can skate well, but he's able to find some uh, gaps in the defense, which I think is very important. And boy, when he's right in front, now he's on the PP1, yeah. so you got a little more time and space there. And when he gets the puck, bang, it's in the goal. That's something that is a good point as well. He wasn't even on the power play for yeah. most of the year. Right. He's playing the second unit, which is a big difference between the first and second unit on most power plays. You usually get the last 30 seconds, you're caught in the middle of a change. The production just isn't quite there, but the fact that he's on the first power play unit now, uh, I'd expect a few more goals down the stretch. And they've loaded him up on that the one side. I mean, the power play's kind of centered to get to that big shot that he has, that big cannon. Yeah, I like it. I like the move that they made last night. Put Kane on his strong side. It's an option. It's a lefty passing to a bunch of lefties. You got Taves. You got Kubalik. Dylan Strom can be an option out there. Gustafson at the point. Uh, you see Winnipeg have success with that. Wheeler as a righty passing all right-handed shots. Why can't we do that uh, with Kubelik letting them rip from the from the right hash mark there? I want to read through this list. He's already eighth in terms of Blackhawk Blackhawks rookies goal scoring with his twenty fifth, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth last night. There's only eight seven guys ahead of him: uh, Jeremy Romick, Dennis Savard, Alex DeBrinket, Eric Daze, and Artemi Panarin. He's within five goals of all five of those names. So realistically. He could put himself third on this list by the end of the season in a matter of weeks, and only Steve Larmer and Daryl Sutter are ahead of him. Did Panarin win Rookie of the Year? He did, right? He did. He did. Yeah, he yeah. did win it. And um, you know, but I think if you look at Kubalik, and you know, they've had some Gustafsons, another guy, Panarin. The Blackhawks European scouting department doesn't get a whole lot of press. Yeah. They've done an excellent job. They go out there, they're out, they're seeing hundreds of games. They're often far-flung Europe, places you, you, know, you don't even know how to get back from. And uh, they've brought in these gems, these guys. And frankly, they needed it because a guy like Brinkett's not having the year that he had. He's no longer on a power play one, but you got a, a guy who can come in and score 32 games. That's a shout-out to Stan Bowman and the European scouting staff. And those are the guys who are going to be the basis of this team next two, three, four years. Right. I, I ask about Panarin winning it because he was a little bit older yeah. and had professional hockey under his belt, years of it before he came to the NHL. So why can't Kubelik do the same? It's it's interesting to see that he's almost on the same production level, at least in goals, as Panarin. He doesn't have as many assists as maybe some of the other rookies that are around, but he's still putting out those numbers, and he's kind of flying under the radar nationally, like like we talked about. That's my fault. 
Your fault. Get we'll going, sure. we'll work on it. Start we'll get there. <laughs> you got some time left. You got about six weeks left in the regular season. Uh, we'll get some time there. You mentioned Alex Debrinkit, Chris. Uh, we've talked about him a couple times as well. He got a whole had a goal the other night. Uh, admitted after the game, you know, it felt good. Hopefully, he can start to find a rhythm. I think some of it is the team finding its own rhythm right now as well, offensively, uh, outside of maybe that top line. But he's a guy that we've seen really have bits throughout the season where he's scoring some goals, but hasn't put it together throughout the entire campaign. Like we saw last year, Sharpie as a goal scorer. What do you see from him? I mean, the, the tools are obviously still there, maybe lacking a little confidence, but what do you see from him as someone who was a high offensive output player yourself? Hanging around cat. He's a guy that thinks hockey a lot, much like I did. Um, and I wonder how much of a release he gets from the game, to be quite honest with you. Um, he takes good care of himself off, on and off the ice, but sometimes I just think that when he's going real well, he's always thinking hockey the way I used to, and things can snowball in a positive way. And when things aren't going well, he still thinks about it, much like I did as a player, and, and things can snowball negatively. So he's in a tough stretch right now. He's still getting some looks. A guy like Cat needs someone to play with. He needs a partner. And for a long time there, last season it was Dylan Strom and Cat that were filling the score sheet just about every night. Hasn't seemed to happen as much this year, and, and it's cost the Hawks a little bit. So it's an area that needs to improve. Um, the power play, for whatever reason, is struggling this year, and that's that's baffling to me because when Jeremy Calton took that team over, it was clicking at such a high percentage for a long time, and a big reason was Dylan Strom and Alex Dabrinkit. So... If the Hawks could improve in one area right now, it would be get, get those two guys going. Now you got Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. You mentioned Kubelik. Brandon Saad's been playing great hockey all season long, especially since he came back from his injury. So those two guys, Kat and Strom, would be, would be helpful if they get scored. The, for me, the positive, and I don't know about scoring streaks because I had like season-long droughts, not just like <laughs> month-long droughts. Um, but I watched it, and I, even Sharp's a perfect example. He would go two or three weeks without a goal, and then all of a sudden, the end of the season, you're like, oh, my God, he's not scoring. What's going on here? And the end of the season, you look, and he's got 35 goals. Um, Sharpie, that's how it goes, kind of. Goal scorers, they get streaky. They go hot and cold. And if, if you don't, your name's Wayne Gretzky or Alex Ovechkin. Um, so that happens, and that's how these goal scorers are. I, I think Cat, before the end of the season, I think he'll break out of it, and he'll go score eight goals in five games, and that'll happen. And then he'll get hot again, and then it'll go. But for me... Goal scorers uh, don't have big years when your power play stinks. And when your power play struggles and you're clicking at 5%, that hurts your stats. It hurts your confidence. I think a lot of players get confidence getting points, getting cookies, getting goals on the power play. When that doesn't happen, I think it, it, it trickles into your five-on-five game a little bit. He, he scored 41 goals last year, too. That's, that's a lot of goals for a young player. So he's a star player in the league. And I think people take him very seriously when they see the Hawks roll into town or they come to play against Chicago, they know that Dabrinkit's a guy that can hurt you on the other side. So he's getting a little more attention this year than he had in years past. But that's something that he can work through, and he will, and he'll be a, a great goal scorer for this team. Even for on years last year, 41 goals. I remember there was a couple weeks where we're talking about, geez, Alex has got to get going here. He's, got, he's getting 41 goals that year, and we were still talking about that it, it happens. So um, I don't think it's – we don't need to go crazy on it. I mean, I'm sure nobody's more frustrated about it than Alex. Sharp, you mentioned the – always thinking about hockey, which when things are going good, it's part of your success. But 
when things maybe aren't going so good, how do you find that balance between not being too hard on yourself, kind of taking a step back, but also looking at yourself in maybe a critical way and seeing what might not be clicking? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) I haven't played in two years, but that's something that I constantly dealt with was the highs and lows of of the game. Um, One thing you always try to do as a goal scorer is just don't hurt the team. If you're not going to put the puck in the net, and you're in a little bit of a dry spell, find another way to help the team out. That's why you look at a guy like Jonathan Taves, why he can be so valuable for this team, because he doesn't have to score every night to be an important player for our group. Takes face-offs, competes hard, plays good defensively. Those are all things that Debrinket can do, maybe not the face-off side of it, but he skates well, he can he can make plays, he can create offense by himself, Alex Debrinket. Uh, it's something I want to see him start doing, and... As far as not thinking the game, I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's a, he's a great kid and he loves hockey. Uh, sometimes you take your foot off the gas a little bit and you start scoring goals. You know, you, you find a way to not think about it. I don't know. I used to watch a lot of se- season series on the airplane. Sometimes I get <laughs> lost in those and that would clear my mind a little bit and I'd start playing better. But whatever it is, hopefully you can start scoring. Uh, so. I, I will add and give you guys some insight when he, Sharpie says, uh, I don't know how to kind of turn that off and, and probably what Alex is going through a little bit. Uh, what some of these guys do, the scorers do, is they, they look at their sticks. So then they're going to make a change on the stick or the way they tape their stick or the knob on their stick or the flex on their stick. And when Sharpie says uh, it's hard to turn that off, he and I skated two days ago together and he came out there for a pickup game with three different sticks <laughs> And he had a shift where he didn't score, and he came back, changed the stick. He's flexing it. The stick was a problem. So here's a guy that's been out of the game for two years, and he's still messing with his sticks like it matters at an 8, 9, 9 p.m. men's pickup game. So well, I don't think you ever turn it off. Burr, how many sticks did I you have? I brought one stick that I think was eight years old. He I mean, scored, scored some nice goals. Well, I had a couple okay. of nice tucks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, he scored some goals in his, his career, and, and I didn't. all those sticks, I mean... Maybe you could have learned. If from I would him. have scored as nice a goals when I was playing as I did two nights ago, I might still be playing. I know I was on fire, Carter. Burr. On fire. It was good. I'm, okay. I, I want to make fun of him here, but I can't. He was really good. How many post whistle scuffles were there with Burrish? I'm, I was. I'm a skill player now, Chris. Thank oh, okay. you very much. I will say. Let me try to grasp that. I'm not sure. I... The good thing about the rinks nowadays is they all have the cameras where you can go back and kind of watch what happens. So we'll have to maybe dig oh, up no. that tape and uh, okay. uh, maybe dissect Someone's it a little got bit. A video we'll get it. We'll get it on the tape episode going where you guys can break down uh, Burr's strong night. The other goal scorer last night in the loss, Drake Kajula, who at times, I think a couple months ago, thought maybe his season was done. He went through a long stretch where he was in concussion protocol, admitted that he thought about kind of just shutting it down for the year and, you know, letting his body heal. But he's come back. He's really added, I think, a unique spark to this team in that he can play on that top line, has the skill to be a top six forward, but also plays with that grit that he really brings to the game. He brings a different element, and I think it is a good compliment because he can go out and stick up for guys and uh, kind of be a little bit of a pest, but Mm -hmm. we saw it last night. He can pass the puck, and he can bury a shot as well, and really a a nice all-around player out there to compliment some of these – highly skilled guys on the Blackhawk uh, offensive roster. I'd say he's a combination of Burr and me, right? Could be. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little inside joke between the four of us. We were talking earlier. I I said, you know, maybe he's a little little combination, not a direct 
replica of these two combined. And uh, Sharpie was very quick to say, ah, I don't know. <laughs> what, was, what was your response? I like Kajula. I'm going to save my response okay. uh, for the private uh, <laughs> my, uh, public <laughs> statement. Is I like Kajula. I think he works hard. I think he's got great skill. You mentioned it, Carter. He can play on the top line. He can be effective on the fourth line. And he's just starting to gain that confidence at the NHL level where he can score and, um, and have consistent offense every night. Playing with two pretty good players right now in Kubelik and Johnny, that helps. But I like how he throws his body around. He gets involved. He's hard on the forecheck. He can skate and make plays. And um, a nice complimentary player on that top line. He doesn't have the flow that you guys had. I know that. But no. he's also... <laughs> or the teeth. <laughs> yeah, that was Burrish. Um, you know, I, what I like about him is that he's a, he's a real professional. He's a guy who, yeah. in the dressing room after, will we'll spell it out, saying, here's what we didn't do, here's what we need to do, here's how I need to be better. But I think it's, as Cardi mentioned, the versatility. To be able to play with Jonathan Taves in the top line, okay, now we need you in the fourth line, do a little different role. We need you to shut some guys down. That's a guy you can come in and is a real piece, you know, maybe not because we get the big headlines, you know, isn't a lot of highlight reel goals, but a guy that you need to win hockey games. And there are certain guys throughout the league that are able to do that. And I think Kajula is one of them. And that's that's a guy that really the Black Auction use forward going uh, going forward. Yeah, he's a gamer. Yeah, he's yeah. a guy. When I look at guys and I'm watching, I'm thinking like, how would this guy be in Game Seven of a of a playoff series? How would this guy perform in playoffs when everything gets cranked up? And Kajula has that motor. He's a guy that I, I, I can count on. I can throw him on the ice in a playoff series, and I know he's going to battle. I know he's going to compete. I know he's not afraid to lose some more teeth. Um, so I, I like the guy. And, and what impressed me about him this year is when he was out for a month or whatever it was in concussion protocol, um, I was at the rink one of the days watching, and he was out on the ice by himself just working like a dog and with, with, with a couple of the Blackhawks trainers and, and coaches and working on picking up pucks off the wall, little details that he knows and situations he's going to be in when he gets back out there. And um, to come back from you know some scary times with his head, and he goes right back out there, and he's throwing his body at guys, and he's getting, it, he's getting after it, and he's playing hard. And he didn't miss a beat. And then right away, then a game later, you put him back out there with Johnny, and he starts picking up points. And... And you can get a little bit, too, of what guys say and what Taves says after games, and he always gives a little plug to Kajula and say, we've got some good chemistry, we're playing well. And that can kind of tell you a lot, too, that Johnny appreciates the work that he's doing, and, and Johnny's playing well, and he's, and he's doing it with Drake. And so uh, I think since he's come back, it's, it's harder to do than people think to come back from a month off of playing NHL hockey games and jump right back into it, not miss a beat, and that's what, that's what Drake's done. Well, we will start to look forward in just a minute. We're getting a couple questions coming in uh, on Twitter. I'm going to encourage all the questions coming in. You just tag at NHL Blackhawks. We'll maybe get to some of those as we go on in the show. But I do want to look at probably the next four days, which are going to four to five days, are going to be uh, very important, not only for the next six to seven weeks of this season, but going forward for the Blackhawks, the NHL trade, de trade deadline coming up on Monday. Uh, just... Gentlemen, your your thoughts on kind of where this team stands, what what these next few days might be like. There's uh, obviously a lot of rumors swirling left and right of what may or may not happen, but uh, we're seeing a lot of activity in the trade deadline market between some teams, and some prices are high, some prices are low, and uh, it's always fluid this time of year. You know, I don't think we know what Stan Bowman's thinking at this point, but he did say a couple weeks ago when I talked to him, we're going to see what happens these next couple of weeks leading up into the trade deadline. How are we playing? Are we going to be buyers or are we going to be sellers? I think we, we have our answer. If we don't, 
we, we pretty, we're pretty close that it's likely they're going to be sellers, and nobody really wants to hear that, right? We all want to hear they're going to reel off 10 in a row, we're going to make the playoffs. But at some point, you have to realize what you have. And this team has been around 500 all season long. I'm, I'm not sure what could get them out of that rut, right, of 500. So Stan Bowman's going to go out there. He's not going to give anybody away, but there's some assets there that you can get. They'd like some draft, pro, uh, some draft picks back, I think. Uh, I don't think you're probably going for, uh, you know, a, a roster player that yeah. can plug in and, and try to score some goals there. Uh, maybe it changes. Maybe they beat the Predators tomorrow night. Everybody's happy, and they reel off five or six. We have a different conversation next week. But to me, I think he's probably selling. You're looking at guys like Eric Gustafson, a guy – um, not having a season he had last year, but a whole lot of talent there, right? Uh, uh, puck moving defenseman can quarterback the power play. Had a little tough luck uh, in his own zone, I think, this season where uh, he's turning pucks over, but he can bring some things back. What do you can do with goaltender? You have two goaltenders playing very well this season. Both are unrestricted free agents next year. You're not going to resign both of them. So is Robin Leonard on the block? Is Corey Crawford on the block? And I, you guys can tell me this, but. You talked to guys in the room yesterday. We talked to Leonard afterward, and somebody said, "Hey, is this starting to weigh on you? You know, here every day your names and you know and rumors." He said, "Yeah, starting to get to me. You know, I mean, you you think about it, you can't not think about it." And Gustafson said the same thing today after their workouts. You know, I've got a family here. I've got two kids. My wife's asking me every day, "Are we going somewhere else?" How is that mentally? You know, at the trade deadline, I don't think either one of you guys went at the deadline before, but you've been traded in the past. What's the mindset around this time of year? Yeah, it's a tricky time of year. Um, usually the Blackhawks are in a position where they're looking to add right. at the deadline and go on a deep playoff run. So this is, man, it's been a while since the Hawks have been in this situation. But uh, yeah, you always listen to what's being said on television. Uh, the Twitter plays a big role in things. You're looking at teams that are looking to add players. You mentioned some of the guys that could be on the move out of Chicago. Anybody's up for grabs uh, when you're a team that may miss the playoffs and and trades are a possibility. So. Uh, he just tried to get through the week, focus on each day, whether it's a practice or a game day, and and hope for the best. I Are you suppose. calling your agent? And you keep in touch with your agent. I was going to say, yeah, I, he was he had great jump in his legs <laughs> in that pickup game we had. Sharpie did. He could still zip it. He looked pretty darn good out there. I don't know if those cameras are on, Chris, but we could maybe Eric Carter. We could put a we'll find little package together of Sharp and maybe send that over to Stan because he he was zipping it. I got to say, it really was. But uh, as far as the trade goes. Um, my best guess would be that exactly what you said, Chris, is if they make some moves, it's to bring back uh, trade, uh, excuse me, draft picks yeah. or prospects uh, type of stuff to kind of build this thing back up um, would be my guess, best guess. But you never know. I mean, you, you get a you get a Stanley Cup contender team that wants to swing the bat at it and overpay for a guy to, to rent a guy or to, to get a guy for a year. Um, you never know. You could get a big piece back, but you know maybe to get some first rounders or to get some drafts. That'd be my my best guess. But as players, um, what surprised me a little bit in the game last night is I just know that when it's this time of the year, you kind of ramp it up a little bit because mm -hmm. you're knowing there's a lot of scouts there, there's a lot of people watching, and if your name is in that or it isn't, you're kind of thinking, geez, I want to play well because if I do get traded. You know, a guy like me, a, a bottom six guy, if I get traded, well, a team could just bury me in the minors. They could scratch me. They could. So I want to kind of show off a little bit. I want to play well. So if I do get traded, I don't get buried. And then if you're a top end guy, you're kind of playing thinking if I get traded, I want to go to a Stanley Cup contending team. I don't want to go to a bottom feeder. Um, and I want to go in there and I want to play on their power play. I want to play big minutes. I want to I want to be in a good situation or I don't want to get traded. I want to play so darn well here that this team can't trade me. Um, and you didn't see that so much last night, but I think those are the three kind of mindsets that players go through. And then I can just tell you that on Monday, 
you get done with practice, and if you're not traveling, you sit in front of the TV and you watch the coverage and hope your phone doesn't ring. Sharpie, you've been involved in a midseason trade, a, a pretty important one, if I might say, in December of 2005, going from Philadelphia to Chicago. What? How difficult is that? You're in with a group out of training camp. You have your team. You have your locker room of guys that you're with. And all of a sudden, you're uprooted, moving, in your case, halfway across the country, yeah. brand new locker room. How do you integrate yourself right away? How do you broach that in a new locker room, a new situation? How difficult is that as a player? I think it gets easier uh, the more years you play professional hockey. I think it's safe to say that you could go to 31 different locker rooms and there's a pretty general vibe in all of them. It's all the same. You got your funny guys, you got your serious guys. Um, like Bursch. Yeah, right. You got serious. your very serious. serious. Yeah. You, know, um, it, it, you just get used to it. At, in 2005, when I was traded, I was excited to go to a team in Chicago that was going to give me a chance to play. I was coming from Philadelphia where we were a, a first place team at the time. I was a younger player. There was lots of good veteran guys there. But even saying that, I didn't really want to leave for all the reasons you just mentioned. It's tough. Um, there's much more that goes into it than just playing hockey. There's lifestyle away from the rink, uh, families involved. But you know, going back to 2005, uh, that was a pretty big trade and big move in, in my life. Worked out for the best. You know, say three cups and you know a uh, NHL All Star Game MVP later. Uh, you're sitting here still in Chicago today. I mean it. That one worked out for you uh, pretty well. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else besides this Yeti store right now. <laughs> there you go. You know, you talk about a trivia question. Anybody uh, remember who the player went back? The Blackhawks traded for you? I do. I got my first fan ever here, by the way, I should probably mention. <laughs> this is I'm still a, waiting for mine. So, her, yeah. her, her name is Danielle, and she's probably embarrassed that I'm mentioning her name, but she is actually my first fan. And when I was playing for Philadelphia in the minors uh, with the Phantoms, I was mm -hmm. 20 years old. Danielle was there cheering me on wearing my jersey. So it's kind of cool that I don't want to say how many years ago that was, but it was a long <laughs> time ago, creeping up on a couple decades. So everybody, there's Danielle. There you go, Danielle. <laughs> anyway, She's signing autographs. Matt later. Ellison, right? Matt Ellison, Matt Ellison was the guy who went back. But I, you know, I just want to go back, circle back real quickly to the trade deadline. I'm not saying that the Blackhawks are going to strip this down to the studs and no. go for a total rebuild. You don't do that when you have Patrick Kane. You don't do that when you have Jonathan Taves to bring it. Kubalik and those guys that they have. But I think if you're talking about if you have a realistic chance to make the playoffs this season, and if you decide that you don't, then you go ahead and get some draft picks so yep. you, you can build up the future a little bit. But by no means does it mean that they're not going to be strong next year because we all see what happens. Teams can come out of nowhere, and, and the Blackhawks aren't that far away, right? Totally. I, I don't think they're that far away. Totally. One, of, one of the things that happens when you do go to a new team, whether it's at the start of the year or even midseason, you usually have someone that you kind of cling to to take you under your wing, help you out. We see that a lot right now, I, specifically having you two here. I know you guys room together on the road at times. You have a very uh, close friendship together. We see guys like Robin Leonard, who has Alex Nylander living with him and his family. You have Adam Boquist living with Alex Dabrinkit and his family. Kirby Doc living with Brent Seabrook. Could you guys have survived living together at home? I know, I know there's probably some bonding that you do living in a hotel room together, but would you be able to do that with each other, or is there someone else that you would or wouldn't want to live with uh, 
back when you first joined the Hawks? I think Burr had enough of me just on the road. <laughs> I don't think he needed me in, at Same, home. Same, right back. I, I don't think Sharp could just have handled another, another 10 minutes away from the room or the rink with me. Um, but I think the difference was, and you, you read off those guys' names, they're 18, 19-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sharpie and I were in college when we were 18 or 19 years old. And, um, you know, for uh, I'll just use Doc as a perfect example for him to get to go and live with Seabrook. Man, if I was 18 in the NHL and I got to go live with Brent Seabrook, um, one of the best professionals, one of the best guys, like Seabrook gives, you know, he gives up his time and, and his energy to, to make sure Doc's better, to make sure his teammates are better. So um, if I'm Doc's parents and all of a sudden he calls me and says, Hey, I'm going to go live with Brent Seabrook. I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. How did this happen? <laughs> this is, couldn't be better other than living at home. You're with the best guy and, and the best family you could be with. So, um, I think Doc's going to get the most benefit of this just by doing that. And then, um, I think anytime you got a young kid living with an older guy, um, it, it just helps you, you, you learn how to get to the rink early. You learn how to stay late. You see what they're doing, taking care of their bodies at home. Um, the way they eat, the way they sleep, the way they train, the way they show up for stuff on time. And um, I think that's the biggest thing you get from, from what these older guys do as a young guy. I mean, otherwise, you're just you're finding in a big city in Chicago. Um, I saw that thing you did, Sharpie, uh, with, with Pat Boyle, where you're driving around. You're like, all of a sudden, I'm from Philadelphia. I was at Vermont. I'm from Thunder Bay. And all of a sudden, I'm in this big city now. Like, where do I go? What's this traffic stuff? When do I leave? How do I get there? Um, so for a young kid, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Then all of a sudden, you're in the NHL also. And um, so to live with somebody, I think at a young age, I mean, remember Patrick Kane lived with Stan Bowman. Mm-hmm. So Chris, Chris, you could have invited me to live with you. I've never been traded and, um, you never invited me to live with you either. So, but, um, <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, you know, I just heard about Kirby living with, with Brent, uh, earlier this year. And I, I think that is huge for his development just to know, just to have the guts to go up to Brent Seabrook. It was, he went up to Seabrook and said, Hey, uh, you know, yeah. in a room down in the basement. And, you know, Brent said, yeah, he does. You know, he's got to do his own laundry. And, uh, you know, I, I keep the keys to the car. But, you know, I think it's, it's really development for a guy, especially a guy from what, Saskatchewan, I think he is, to come down here and get to know this city, right? Because, I mean, I'm, I've been here all my life. I'm still wandering around the north side trying to find the highway. And it's, it's so important for him to realize what you need to do off the ice, more so than on the ice. And Brent Seabrook, you know, he's taken some heat from some people because of the contract he signed. But... I think you guys know, I don't think there's any more respected guy in that room than Brent Seabrook. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, I agree. I don't think we could have lived together in Chicago, you and I, right? No, we would have had fist fights in the house or something. Yeah. Remember when I threw the alarm clock at you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whipped an alarm, an alarm clock at my head one day, yeah. What were you doing? I don't I know. I think I was changing the channel. He wanted to watch something, and I was <laughs> trying to be a macho man and said, Yo, you want to watch this? Watch change the channel. I want to watch this. And he just whipped the alarm clock at me. I probably hadn't scored a goal in four or five games. Yeah. I was upset. Yeah, you Did you go out about... and score that night? I can't remember. But <laughs> I don't know. I thought I explained that injury to Joel Quenville. I was like, hey, yeah, Joel, exactly. uh, I injured one of your guys by throwing an alarm clock at him. <laughs> yeah. We used to have fun on the road. It's yeah. different now because not everybody has roommates on the road. I think if you're on your entry-level deal, you have a roommate. But back when we were playing, pretty much everybody had roommates. And I don't know, it kind of brought us all closer together, I think. You have little twosomes everywhere, and you, you get together in the hotel, a lot more talking, a lot more getting to know each other. I think it brings the team closer together, definitely. And you two are still sitting here next to each other uh, to this day. Yep. So uh, Drinking out of our Yeti cups. Drink, <laughs> drinking out of the Yeti, alarm clocks, nowhere near, so that's good. Yeah, uh, probably safe for your here. Sake. One last thing I want to touch on, and we'll get to some questions that are rolling in off Twitter. Uh, we've been doing this 
series on blackhawks.com over the last few weeks celebrating the top 25 moments in 25 years at the united center uh chris you had a piece the other day about a very special moment that sharpie i know you were on the team for and at least were witness to uh, patrick kane's spinorama assist before there was a spinorama goal there was a spinorama assist finding uh marianne hosa backdoor with a no look pass uh really wowing everyone in the building uh chris why don't you tee us up with a little bit about that moment and just one of the many special moments we've seen from patrick kane in his career uh and then we'll we'll hear from sharpie on just how special i mean i'm sure you remember exactly what that night was what's great about patrick kane is he remembers every goal that he scored every assist that he scores he knows his stats he knows his teammates stats i'll come up to him and i'll say you know you're you know, your face-off, or not, you know, your, uh, your zone entries, this percentage is like, well, actually, it's this. And I go back and look at it. It is that. He knows that. And he, he watches videos. But you ask him about a goal, and his eyes light up. And there are some that he just really remembers. And that spinorama goal um, where he found Marion Hosa, I don't even know, eyes in the back of his head or not. But that was really a moment when you realize how special Patrick Kane was, that he can create something out of nothing. And to find a guy like Marion Hosa's crashing the net and, and knocking it in. And it's just been a joy to do these 25 and 25. And I think Patrick Kane is on five or six of them. And I talked to Marion Hosa for it. And I talked to Brent Seabrook. Um, you know, I talked to the next one I'm doing is Duncan Keith when he got hit in the mouth of the puck. You might remember that one. And um, I, I, what's interesting there is that he told me at the time, he said, you know, I lost six, seven teeth. Turns out it was 10 teeth. And he went out there, he missed seven minutes. He went in the dressing room, missed seven minutes, and came out and played a game high minutes. So uh, it's really a joy to do these. But yeah, the, the Kane Spinorama, a la Dennis Savard, was just one of the special moments there. And, um, you know, Patrick, you played on the ice yeah. and uh, with him on the ice. I'm sure you always had to stick on the ice or it's going by you. Yeah, I saw Kaner make that play in the World Championships the year before, actually, mm -hmm. and he passed it to Phil Kessel back door for a goal exact same play Kaner comes down his off wing kind of pulls up to hit the late guy does the spin around and just zips it over on his backhand back door so uh, when he was doing that to Hosa I kind of saw it coming a mile away I know that sounds stupid but when you get to watch a player as talented as Patrick Kane in practice and all of his games and even in international play um, moments like that are special and, and I saw that one coming so he continues to amaze me, Patrick Kane, but what, what's cool about him is like you're seeing all these young kids come into the league doing the same stuff that Kaner does, right? Matthew Kachuk, great player for Calgary, uh, chews on his mouth guard like Kaner used to when he was a rookie. Clayton Keller, guy in Arizona, another American player, looks exactly like Patrick Kane on the ice. Head-to-toe equipment is the exact same. A lot of guys are taping their stick like Kaner. Uh, Austin Matthews, watch his goal celebrations. I know he's a different type of player, but... Uh, they're, they're taking the goal celebrations from Patrick Kane. His influence on the game is everywhere. And I don't want to make him sound old. Maybe we're a lot older <laughs> than we are when we talk about it. But uh, to see him come in at 18, 19 years old and continue to get better year after year and leaving his mark on the game, that's what I think is special about yeah, him. I, I remember that. I remember two years ago, right when you got done, Sharp, we were, or maybe it was last year, we were working a game together and it was early on in the season and you had talked about that. I didn't, I didn't even recognize it. And I guess it goes a little bit, Chris, how these goal scorers and scope, like they remember everything. And Sharpie's the same way. He remembers every goal. I mean, I could, I got, I can count the goals on my hands and toes, how many I scored in my career. And I don't even remember them all. I, I don't even remember. Um, but these guys, they remember everything. They were everything. all great. They were all, uh, they were all beautiful goals, shelf, just yeah. like the men's league game I just played <laughs> in too. 
Um, but they remember everything. And you were talking about it, Sharpie. Now I kind of watch it. But all these young players now, uh, Clayton Keller's a guy who plays in Arizona. And you're like, watch this kid tonight. He's mini Patrick Kane. He tries to be Patrick Kane. He goes on a breakaway and he does the fast stick handles, then stops, and then 20 more stick handles. And they all watch his Kane's YouTube and they watch his videos. And if you see interviews with him, uh, in pre or post season that they that they kind of bank for the season, they all talk about uh, he was a guy I grew up watching. Patrick Kane was a guy I wanted to watch, and I think that's pretty cool. And talk about like the ultimate compliment as a player is when you got guys coming up that are mimicking what you're doing. What you're doing, and um, you know, I, I I know you know Michael Jordan's the icon here, but what Kane's doing in the NHL, it's it's similar. He's changing the game, and he's changing, and he's influencing what these young kids and how they want to play and how they want to stick handle and how they tape their sticks and how they celebrate. It's pretty cool. It's cool to watch, and um, but it is impressive when you talk to these guys how they know every single little play and every point they made. I I, I don't know how they do it. We were talking. Leading up to Kane's thousandth point, I went around the locker room and was asking a lot of the guys, hey, what's your favorite moment? My initial thought going in was playing with him. But then as you got into the process, there's so many young kids on this roster that most of them grew up watching him. And playing alongside him is almost a dream come true. You mentioned looking just like him or remembering where you were when he scored this goal or made that assist. Uh, who were guys that you looked up to or you went head-to-head -head against or even played with during your career where it was a, a surreal moment, you know, someone you idolized or respected to that level where you were just like, I can't believe I'm sharing the same ice with this guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There was a, there was a ton for me. Um, I, there's, there isn't one. I just remember, like, looking across the ice, like, scared to death because, like, these guys had these big beards and they were, like, 6'5". <laughs> And they just looked like NHL. That was when there, there were still those mean-looking guys on the ice and these big monsters with scars on their face, no teeth in their mouth. Um, so I, I don't know. I always thought, um, you know, when you played against the, the Red Wings, those were always the big ones because the building was full. You could feel the energy of the fans. And you see Lidstrom across the ice or playing against Chris Chelios I thought was cool. He was a guy... Um, that I always was like, you know, he, he went to Wisconsin. It's Chris Chelios. I thought that was cool. Um, but those were all pretty neat. Um, I, do you have one? Mine is Medano. Mike Medano oh, yeah. was always my favorite player growing up. That's why I wore number nine in Philadelphia and uh, came to Chicago. Number nine was in the rafters, so they gave me the next number up, which was number 10. Uh, it's kind of cool to follow a guy's career and then line up against him on the ice. I got a signed stick from Medano. It says continued success. Mike Medano got a jersey signed by my 16-year-old girlfriend. She went to the Edmonton Oilers. She lived in Edmonton, and she went to the Oilers pregame skate, tracked down Medano, and got it signed for me, who was living in Thunder Bay at the time. I told Medano all this later on, and we've become friends. Our wives are friends on Instagram. So um, I know it's kind of cool. He, he sent out a tweet when we won a Stanley Cup, acknowledging uh, me, which I think he knows I was a huge fan of his growing up. And, and getting back to Patrick Kane, yeah. There's not just one guy that cheers for Patrick Kane. There's thousands of kids out there that are dreaming about being Patrick Kane. And I remember you had told me a story a couple years ago, Sharpie. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, when he was on the team, mm -hmm. you sat by them in the locker room, and, and he was like, I used to have like posters of Kane yeah. on my wall. Like He was my favorite player. Now I'm sitting next to him and playing on a line with Patrick Kane. What, what did Schmaltz Yeah, well, We were just asking the same question Carter did. Like, who was your guy growing up? Who did you try to be like? And some guys were saying... What did Sieb say? Sieb said Chris Pronger. Uh, Duncan Keith said Pavel Bure. And then Nick Schmaltz was like, uh, Kane. 
Patrick <laughs> Kane was my guy, which is kind of weird because they're on the same line sitting beside each other. Well, I want to transition now. We've had several questions come in for you guys on Twitter, uh, even a couple on Instagram. I want to lead off with uh, someone you guys know very well Uh-oh. has asked a very important question. Um, in all seriousness, he means this 100%. Spit it out. You're making me nervous here. Andrew Shaw. I knew it was Shaw. <laughs> Andrew Shaw has asked for both of you, do you both get Botox to stay looking so young and so handsome now that your career's over? No Botox. No Botox. All right. My, my sister's idiot, a plastic Shaw. surgeon. and uh, She does great work, Burr. <laughs> Give me a break. And I asked her if I needed it just because I was like, you know, I'm on TV here and there. And, and she was like, I would never touch you. She goes, I would never touch you. She goes, but at some point you should probably get your nose fixed one time, she said. so. Been broken a few too. No, no Shazi, none. But maybe, right. maybe, maybe he needs some. Maybe he's asking for advice. Maybe, maybe he was hoping for a referral, but we can't okay. refer him. Well, well we, can, we can talk afterwards. We'll figure it Cook, out. Cook, how about you? Oh, yeah, obviously. A <laughs> ton of work. Well, we have, uh, we have several lined up. We'll just kind of run through the list here. First, uh, coming in from Mitch, going back to maybe the, the rooming on the road. So what's the best prank you guys have pulled, either on each other or on someone else? What's, uh, what's maybe the first one that sticks out in your mind, Bert? I know you probably have many lined up that maybe you can't fully disclose and well, we can in a share public them all. forum. But, How much time uh, we got? Oh, we got all day. Well, there's a Yeti bar over there. <laughs> there's we a bar over there. We can get refills on our drinks um, and these Yeti cups. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have a favorite. You should, I, I read, the one that I always remember and that was on Blackhawks TV with, with Kempner was the one where we ordered all those guys that food. Mm-hmm. I thought that one was pretty good where we were on the road and um, when we'd get into a city late at night, sometimes two or three in the morning, you fly in and then um, you'd have a day off the next day. So you hang your, you know, you put your order of what you want for breakfast sent up to your room and hang it on your door. And we went and took Kane and Taves and uh, we marked off just about everything on that menu. So they had a couple, two or three carts of food, probably two or three hundred dollars worth of breakfast delivered to their room. And instead of at 10 o'clock, what they wanted, we moved that up to six o'clock in the morning. Um, and then they got stuck with a big bill too. So that one was, that was pretty memorable. One time we changed the, got Taves' cell phone number and we got the girlfriend that he was dating at the time. This was 15 years ago, maybe <laughs> 10 years ago. And we changed the information around to Seabrook's phone. And then we were texting from Seabrook's number to oh, boy. Johnny. And he thought it was the girl that was texting and we... Said some pretty rude things that we can't really say right now. <laughs> I'm sure that went over really well. Yeah, that though, was a good one. Fact. Uh, another one that come came in. Uh, how did you guys originally hit it off? Was it before you were roommates on the road? Was it something instantaneously? How did how did what everyone knows as Sharp and Burr almost together come about? I think we just kind of lucked into it, right? Yeah. I think. We both had roommates. I know when I first came in, I, I was with Martin Havlat, was my roommate. And then some, my guess is that he just said, I'm sick of this guy. Can you get me a new... Uh, and he was the, one of the star players. Because you're trying to team. change a channel. I was probably... No, I was scared to death with Martin Havlat because I was a young kid and I thought he was a superstar in the league. And I was like, I was afraid to turn the water on to brush my teeth in the morning if he was still in bed to wake him up. So I, I don't know what it was. He probably said, I'm, I'm tired of this guy. I need a new roommate. And probably the same thing with Sharpie, whoever he was roommate probably got sick of him too. And we got stuck together. I think we just had a lot in common, to be honest with you. We were both young players that wanted to be in the NHL that had a lot to prove. Nobody really thought that we were going to be NHLers throughout our whole life. Um, 
at all different levels, right, Burr? I don't think at no. any level did they think that you and I were going to be pros. And um, we just kind of hit it off that way, sat beside each other in the locker room in, the, in training camp one time. And I think that led to us being roommates and just became good friends yeah, over the years. I think it was my first training camp in Chicago. You and I, they, they, at that time, they had like three or four different teams. Yeah. And I think you and I were on the same team. Yeah. And, and I was just a, I was a, a nobody and coming out of college. And, and you were one of the, you sat next to me, I think, in the locker room and training camp. And you were always talking to me. And you're one of the nice guys. And as a, as a new guy, not to say guys don't talk to you, but you're just kind of on your own a little bit. Not a guy. A lot of guys talk to you, especially guys that are they know they have a spot on the team, like Sharpie did. And so he was one of the guys that kind of talked to me and kind of encouraged and said, "Man, you had a good game today, or you're playing well." And we would just kind of kind of talk and probably hit it off a little bit there. I can't imagine you not talking much. To that was like the, the one probably three week span of my career <laughs> where I didn't talk a whole lot. Then it was just op open the can. It's all downhill from there. Uh, our last one that we'll get into, our last fan question, comes from Gabriel. He wants to know, what is your favorite memory as a Blackhawk? I'm sure a couple involve some hardware, but what is your favorite memory? I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to pick one favorite. I'll just say the last memory that I have is being at the United Center. Uh, it was the second last game we played, last home game as a Blackhawk a couple years ago, just skating around the ice after. I couldn't believe that I got the chance to do that. The game ended. I wanted to get off the ice, and uh, Dunks kind of pushed me out there and, and told me to go for a skate and wave to the crowd, and I'm thinking to myself, like, who would have thought that would ever happen a long time ago, that I'd be finishing my hockey career on home ice and I'd be getting a, a round of applause from all the people at the United Center. That was pretty special. The whole day was special, to be honest with you. Joel put me on a line with Kaner again for the final game. Um, Kaner was wearing the A because somebody wasn't playing. I think Johnny was out for the last couple of games of the year. So Kaner told Joel to put the A back on my jersey, which was very special. Um, but way too many memories. That's why I love being a part of the Blackhawks family today and always will be because it was just such an incredible career. We talked with Burr about this when he did his one more shift a few weeks ago, just kind of being out there and taking in the anthem and kind of knowing that you have that one last opportunity because you know he didn't get to do that in his actual career. But going into that game, I mean, you know this is it. How much do you just absorb everything, enjoy, like you said, every last kind of detail of that, yeah. knowing that this is it? I wish I would have enjoyed a little bit more, to be honest with you, but... Um, it was a special day and uh, glad it's over with the way I feel today after skating Tuesday night with Burr <laughs> in that men's league game. I know I can't play anymore. I'm a little sore right now, but um, it was fun. It was a good day. Burr, your favorite memory? Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of. I, I think when you're done and you look back, at least for me, I, I don't have like one memory that sticks out. I think it's more you just you appreciate that you got a chance to play for the Blackhawks and you got a chance to, to be a part of the organization and yeah, win a Stanley Cup. I, I feel really fortunate to be a part of that team. Um, but just to play here and the way the, the, the fans treat you and the way the team treats you and your teammates treat you. Um, I, I played on other teams and it wasn't like that. And I didn't get that, that same feeling other teams that I get being in Chicago and playing for this team and now working here for the team and being around Blackhawks fans again. It's different. It's different other places. And I think that's what I appreciate most. Um, uh, the, obviously winning the Stanley Cup and hoisting that thing on the ice is, is probably the, the best memory, but um, the, the parade too. I remember that parade and standing on that stage and just looking like for a mile down the road of just Blackhawks fans in jerseys. 
Um, that was one that, you know, there's certain memories that kind of get stuck in your mind. And, and that's one of them too, that, that's, that I think will always be stuck in my mind. Just seeing, yeah. seeing all those people that day. Honestly, some of the best memories go back to like 2007, 2008, before there were Stanley cup championships. And we were just a group of young guys that were so excited to be in the league and determined to be a good team. You know, doing things like this, promotional events, Burr, like how much did we do around the city connecting with fans? Um, not just the two of us, but the whole yeah. team was doing it. And we were all coming up together at the right time. And then to have success as a group is pretty special and a lot of pride in, in the, the Indian Head logo. What you guys don't know is we're going to take you around the store uh, here at the Yeti store in just a minute. We're going to have you pick out you know a couple items that you think are really well uh, important when you're stuck in surviving in the wild or going yeah. hunting or doing whatever and we're going to go drop you off in the woods and just kind of put a camera out there with no you way. and just uh, see if you can survive i so, watch some of those shows sometime well that's going to come in yeah. handy you're dressed for the yeah. occasion too cool uh, i see only one of them comes back though i don't know which one <laughs> yeah. we'll have to flip a coin and see cook we'll close it out with you i mean you've been around the team for a long time what's your your favorite memory even from from the outside uh maybe having to cover these two yeah a ton of them but i just just something uh, stuck out of my mind when they won, when you guys won in 2010, and uh, they let the media out on the ice, and, and I'm walking, I'm walking on the ice, and, and out of the corner of my eye, I see Joel Quenville walks by, and he just looks at me and says, "Chris Cook is here," and just keeps walking. Right. And I thought, oh, "Cool, how cool is that?" <laughs> I mean, it was like, "Where else would I be, Joel?" For one thing, yeah. but it was just fun. And it's you know, when you guys went to the Tonight Show, if you remember yeah. that, it was yeah. things like that are, are a blast. But and now working for the Blackhawks, I really appreciate what they do for us and what they do for you guys. And um, it's really a first-class organization, and um, the wins will come, but it's also the kind of being a member of a family, and uh, it's something I haven't experienced before in my career, and it's, it's really something special. Well, I want to thank all of you for joining us. This is our first live edition of Blackhawks Insider. And what a uh, place. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's an awesome. incredible Yeti store. store here in Wicker Park, getting us out of our, our studio in the United Center. We get to see some, some daylight. It's dark now, but we saw some daylight uh, on the way over here. Uh, a great audience joining us today, and uh, we've had a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah we have. I love this. So, thank everyone for joining us. Uh, Burr and Sharp. We'll be back up here in just a few minutes. Uh, they're going to have a little fun riffing on each other for a little bit. Uh, the bar is open in the back, and uh, we're here for uh, just a little bit longer. So enjoy the rest of the evening. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed that special edition of Blackhawks Insider Live at Yeti Chicago. Thank you to everyone who came out or tuned in online. That'll do it for this week for Adam Burrish, Patrick Sharp, and Chris Cook. I'm Carter Baum. We'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider, presented by Chevy Drive Chicago. Drive what Kane and Taves drive.